You're listening to the Palmetto Report. I'm Shanti alongside our coast of Casco. Thank you for joining us today. According to Centers for Diseases Control and Prevention, more than 18% of children between the ages of 2 and 19 are overweight or obese in the United States. African American and Hispanic children are more likely to suffer from obesity than their white counterparts, according to the CDC. Additionally, a report in the New England Journal of Medicine says children may have a shorter lifespan in America than their parents due to obesity. Joining us today is Elizabeth Weichel, a licensed registered dietitian who worked for Piedmont Medical Center for 13 years as the Assistant Director of Patient Services and Chief Clinical Dietitian. She also teaches as an adjunct at Winthrop and is now a private practice for herself as the owner of Nutrition Network. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you. So my first question is, how big of a problem is obesity among children? It's definitely on the increase. Um, You listed a lot of good statistics just in your opening statement. Um, We believe that one out of every five children, and children's defined as six to 19 year old, is considered obese. Another really important fact that you listed is that children born in the year 2000 and since, so since the year 2000, will have a shorter life expectancy than their parents. So where we have seen the average life expectancy over decades get older and older and older, the average life expectancy today is 76 years old. What that's saying is that children born in the year 2000 since will not live to that age. They're going to have a shorter and shorter life expectancy. And can you explain how body mass index does not have anything to do with children's weight? or So body mass index, really what it does for adults it tells us our health risk factor. So it does look at height and weight, and it assesses a number to tell you what are your health risks. And, of course, the top three health risks in being overweight is high blood pressure, heart disease, and diabetes. But that body mass index that we use for adults doesn't work for children because it can really give false numbers. So for children, we use something called a growth percentile chart. We're still plotting them out by weight and by length. So we start at birth, and they're plotted out based on a percentile. So if a child's in the 50th percentile for their age, we consider that they're average for their age. And then what's really important is to chart chart that child month after month, year after year, and see if they stay within that range. Anytime there's a big change one way or another would be a red flag that, you know, we need to look to see what's going on. Children who are born in 2000s, mm-hmm. they have a better chance of being obese. Do you mm-hmm. think since time has changed, maybe it's due to, like, technology? Maybe? I think it's a lot of factors, and the the big picture answer is lifestyle, but lifestyle incorporates so many things. Their exercise, their screen time, their diet, um, and, and maybe, you know, our food service industry in general. So I think there are a lot of factors that contribute to that. How would we 
adequately measure the health of a child in relation to their weight, height? Well, you know, of course, a pediatrician is the first stop. The pediatrician needs to be assessing that child. And, you know, we're going to look at a lot of things, their height, their weight, lab work, their blood pressure. There would be a lot of factors. And I think the problem today is that we're seeing more and more children or teenagers or even early 20s having diseases that we would consider adult diseases, diseases that shouldn't show up to someone was 40, 50, 60, 70 years old or showing up now in the teens and the 20s and the 30s, um, like diabetes, um, high blood pressure, heart disease, the ones we mentioned. And one of the problems you have to think about is, you know, diabetes comes along with complications. And if someone develops diabetes in their 70s and the effects and the complications on their body versus their life expectancy versus if someone's 15, for example, and they have those complications, they have a much longer life expectancy. So those complications begin to compound over time, creating a lot of other health issues for them. And we should be clear that when you talked earlier about that this was the first time in a long time that the life expectancy wasn't going to increase, one of the biggest reasons for that is these links to childhood obesity, right? Correct. You know, lifestyle playing a big part of that. Um, when I was little, uh, we, we would say we should, children should have no more than two hours of TV a day. That was usually pretty easy because when I was little, we only had three TV channels. And, of course, kids have entire networks devoted to them today. And so we've changed that to no more than two hours of screen time a day. So that's going to incorporate television, iPads, computers, because we believe if they're sitting there in front of a, a screen more than two hours a day, they have decreased physical activity and increased exposure to advertising and things that they don't understand. Um, so that lifestyle, choices that they're making, choices now that they have at school, um, many branded foods in school cafeterias, branded meaning a recognizable um, like restaurant may have food in their cafeteria all the time. And so children eating a lot of fast foods, um, portion control is, certain is uh, certainly an issue, and then their physical activity probably are the, the biggest factors. And considering the way food is manufactured today, do you believe that that's one issue on why children are being are obese today? It could be, and I think, I think the answer for that... Um, is portion sizes that we don't really know correct portion sizes anymore. Um, the idea of supersizing, supersizing's killing us. So we think that everything should be supersized when in fact correct portion sizes we don't know anymore. And so a lot of times children assume that's the correct amount to eat when in fact it's just too much of the wrong things. 
You're listening to the Palmetto Report. I'm Shante Brown, alongside our co-host Joseph Caskell, and we're speaking with Elizabeth Weichel, licensed registered dietitian and adjunct professor in the Winthrop Department of Human Nutrition. I know that with some children, some of them eat what their parents mm-hmm. eat. Um, I see it a lot, and so do you believe that it's like the parents probably fault that their child can get obese by like what they eat you know I don't really like to say fault Mm because it's a tough job being a parent yeah um but I do think it's important to be a good role model and children learn their eating habits from the people that they're around whoever that is caregivers parents grandparents siblings um they learn their eating habits from the people that they're around so establishing good eating habits, having a schedule, so eating on a schedule is important. Um, I could answer you a lot of things with that, things like um, I, I don't believe that a child ought to be forced to clean their plate because children have an amazing ability. They eat when they're hungry and they stop when they're full. And if we force them to clean their plate, we're forcing them to overeat. Unlike us, we go to the buffet, we're going to get our money's worth, right? Yeah. <laughs> so I don't believe that a child should be given a plate of food and tell them they have to clean their plate. However, I am a believer of the One Bite Club. And that is that when someone's worked to prepare a meal, they have to try one bite of everything. They don't have to like it, but they have to try one bite and then go from go from there to see if they like it. Also important not to give them too large a servings. Again, for the child to assume that's how much they're supposed to eat, give them smaller portions and, and then let them ask for more if they want more. Okay. And how can a parent tell if their child is reaching that obesity? Um, you know, I guess they'll know first from buying clothes, but mm-hmm. it's hard to tell on a on a growth spurt if they're just having to buy clothes. But um, again, probably their first line of help in identifying that would be a checkup with their pediatrician. Interesting enough, though, for young children, the goal is not to put them on a strict diet. A young child, we don't necessarily want to cut calories because children are growing. So what we really work on is to try to get them to stabilize their weight. So they've been on a track of that growth percentile getting higher and higher and higher. What we want to do is stabilize them. And doing that, we don't want them to gain any more weight. The goal may not be that they've lost weight, but they may not. we don't want them to gain any more weight. And in doing that, they're going to have to change their lifestyle. They're going to have to change some of the things that we've already talked about. But the goal is when they begin to hit puberty, they hit their growth spurts, um, we want them to grow taller while maintaining that same weight. Because we believe for every one inch a child grows taller is equal to a five-pound weight loss. So if a child has a one, two, three-inch growth spurt would be equal to losing 15 pounds if they've maintained that weight. Let's talk about the role of genetics, you know, heredity. We talk about things we get from our parents. Sometimes we're just kind of 
I mean, as far as like what our bodies are going to look like, sometimes we just get the hand we're dealt, right? Correct. And certainly genetic plays a huge role um, in our in certain health situations and certainly in our body shape, our body weight. Um, one of the things that we talk about in, in my class is something called basal metabolic rate. A more comfortable term people might have heard is something called your metabolism. And there are 10 factors that affect someone's metabolism that makes each one of us different. And it's why someone can eat anything and everything and they struggle to maintain their weight where, jokingly, I say that the next person just walks down the cookie aisle at the grocery store and they've gained five pounds by the time they get to the end of the aisle. So we're all different. Obviously, genetics playing a big part in that, um, in our weight, our body weight, our body shape. Um, there's something called a set point theory that, um, you know, especially as adults, you kind of get to that set point and and sometimes it's hard to change that weight um, more than, you know, a few pounds one way or another. But certainly genetics plays a role, and you see that in family traits. Families typically have similar body shapes, body sizes, weight. Any advice for parents who want to help their child maintain a better lifestyle? Well, I hope some of the things that we've we've already talked about would be helpful, but a couple of other things would be um, I think it's really important not to make food a control issue. And by that, I mean um, don't use it as a bribe. Don't use it as punishment. You know, go to your room without supper. You know, that makes food a control issue. So food... Mealtime needs to be a very pleasant time with very few distractions. And again, as we mentioned earlier, structure, having structured mealtimes and snack times, um, and then having that mealtime um, be very positive, again, with few distractions like television, cell phones. Um, and, and we can't minimize how important a kitchen table is. And that a lot of families don't have a kitchen table, but how important that really is. We know that families that have meals together, children do better in school, children do better socially, children feel, feel um, more connected, more secure um, because of what can happen around a kitchen table. Um, the other thing is, uh, I think, especially early in young children, not to overdo with juice. Um, juice is very hard on their teeth, even if it's diluted fruit juice. And a caregiver thinks they're doing something good. I'm giving my child juice, but that juice is full of sugar. Um, so it can be very damaging to their teeth and also tends to make the child always feel full because you know, that sugar's kind of keeping their blood sugar up and they just never get that sensation of being hungry. So juice and really milk should be kept for mealtime and snack time. And the only thing in between that a child could have should be water. And when they do that, typically parents see that the child's appetite's better and their eating's better. All right, I want to thank you so much, Mrs. Weichel, for joining us today. Thank you. I'm your host, Shante Brown. You're listening to the Palmetto Report.